Did you kill anyone, Dad? I distinctly remember the day in the late 1970s when my younger brother and I peppered my dad to tell war stories. He fought in World War II, albeit very briefly. On the first day of combat, he was firing his machine gun at nondescript German soldiers far off in the distant woods when the enemy snuck up on him and his battalion from behind. Over the next year, he endured many hardships at three prisoner of war camps. In the memoir written a few years after returning from the war, he wrote this about that moment in time. Many got away by just piling helter-skelter on the jeeps and taking off. Many of the men were killed in battles after that, and many lived to tell me about it afterward. But this was the end of my combat duty in the war. After three years of training, one day. The day was January 6th, 1945. And we marched along as dusk was settling in, wondering what our fate was to be. My brother and I would hear the whole story later in life, but on this day, we had one driving question. Did you kill anyone? We asked with a disturbing amount of glee behind the question. My dad paused cautiously. I sure hope not, he answered. I sure hope not. I didn't know it at the time, but at that moment, my definition of patriotism shifted slightly. Maybe it was okay to go to war if you had to, but being patriotic certainly wasn't about killing people on the other side. As Joshua Long will elucidate for us shortly, true patriotism demands an honest American spirit. We can celebrate the things we do well even revere those aspects of our history that still make us proud. But the spirit of honesty must throw, flow through our collective conscience if we create a better nation for our loved ones. To me, patriotism isn't a piece of cloth waving in the wind or a narrowly defined set of values. True patriotism is shining a light on the things we, as a nation, are still doing wrong. The lack of indignation from half the nation about the January 6th insurrection, our inability to enact gun control, or the calamitous overturning of Roe versus Wade. That warm feeling of pride I once felt hearing the national anthem and watching fireworks light up the sky is increasingly fleeting. Later in my life, I remember my dad railing against gun violence and lack of gun control. Both my parents were proud Republicans and loved to fly the flag year round, but they also advised me to stay away from the military. They didn't want me to shoot someone, even if it was in service to my country. On the precipice of July 4th, 2022, my patriotism calls me to navigate my role as a citizen of this nation with caution, one day at a time. Patriotism is speaking up for gun control, eschewing the idea that the Second Amendment is infallible as written in 1787. 
Patriotism is standing up for our democracy, which, whichever side wins, not shrouding oneself in made-up fraud and calling it fairness and freedom. January 6th, 2021, 76 years to the day from my dad's single day of combat is a new day of infamy for our nation. All truly patriotic Americans understand that. The land of the free and the home of the brave, maybe sometimes, maybe someday. In the meantime, I'm glad my dad hoped, hoped he never killed another man in defense of freedom. That's an honest definition of patriotism that I can live with. We're about to see a video message from Joshua Long. He wished to give this sermon live over video, but he has come down with a bad cold and lost his voice. Fortunately, an earlier version of the same sermon was recorded last year. The sermon begins with a reference to the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And I want to highlight my namesake. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Now this is loaded with theological content about the power of God to triumph over evil. And it was written by enslaved Africans in the 19th century. These people were forced to labor in America and they were also fed a Christian religion that was meant to keep them down, keep them in bondage, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. But many would take this Christian message and reframe it and tell a new story that liberated them spiritually, mentally, and eventually physically as well. Now in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Joshua, the writer tells the story about a group of people called the Israelites who had just escaped bondage and had wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now they're about to enter the land that had been promised to them. However, the land was inhabited by the Canaanites. And as in many ancient tribal cultures, they would have to go to war in order to take the land. So Joshua, the now leader of the Israelites, after the passing of Moses, was charged with conquering and settling the land of Canaan. And I use that language purposefully. The Hebrew scripture tells it like this. Jericho was shut up on the inside and out because the Israelites had surrounded it. No one came in and no one went out. Now the deity known as Yahweh to the Israelites said to Joshua, I see, see, I have handed Jericho over to you. You shall march around the city and all the warriors circling the city once. This you shall do for six days. All the warriors circling the priests bearing seven trumpet ram's horns. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests blowing the trumpets 
when they make a long blast with the horn, then all the people shall shout and the walls of the city will fall down and you shall charge. So Joshua and the Israelite army did as Yahweh had commanded them. They marched six days once and on the seventh day, which by the way, the number seven signifies completion, a new beginning, new creation, perfection in Jewish numerology. On that seventh day, they marched seven times. They blew the trumpets and the people shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Now this story has been retold, it's been retold for centuries. Many people know it from different cultures and those of us who are atheists or agnostic are at least vaguely familiar with it. Now while there are some traditions different from Unitarian Universalism that may see this as historical fact. Ours is a tradition that would read this as more of a, a theological tale, spiritual myth. Biblical scholars and archeologists say there are, is no evidence that the city of Jericho even existed in 1300 BCE when this story would have taken place. So while there's no physical truth, there may be some spiritual truths to be brought out from this story. So over the past 600 years, two major interpretations of Joshua 6 have been told, and both interpretations have affected the trajectory of history of the United States of America, us as people of faith, individuals, and our collective nation. The first was in the 1400s with the Roman Catholic Church's Doctrine of Discovery. It stated that any foreign lands that Europeans entered into could be conquered in the name of Christianity because of the spiritual need to convert non-Christian peoples into believers. Europeans saw themselves as the Israelites in Joshua and they had been charged with conquering these lands. And anyone who did not convert, such as in the Joshua story, the sex worker Rahab a few chapters earlier, Rahab had aided Israelite spies who were searching out the land of Jericho. Anyone who did not convert to the Israelite cause was committed to destruction. And unfortunately, this is the interpretation that is in line with centuries of indigenous genocide. The other way in which people have viewed the Joshua story is through the lens of the African-American spiritual we heard just a few moments earlier. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Jericho represents all the evil all the injustice and it is to the shouting of voices marching music protest that the walls of oppression come down african americans like myself do not identify with the conquering or the resettling of lands of indigenous lands but rather 
the story of a freed people who continue to wander in a strange land and who must shout, march, protest, make music for our continued liberation. Even though enslaved Africans were taught to interpret the story of Joshua one way, they made a decision to be honest, to look at the world and even the suffering and the pain they were under, to take that and tell a new story. I'll say it this way, a different way. People who've been stolen from lands that are now called Nigeria, Angola, Sierra Leone, they were captured, human trafficked, and forced into labor and fed a religion that told them they were less than human. And they took this and turned it into a liberating message that inspired people to claim their freedom, first spiritually, then mentally, then physically, through the anti-slavery movement, abolition, civil rights, and the continued struggle of freedom today. Now here is one of the reasons I love Unitarian Universalism and our faith of a living tradition. Our faith stretches back 1800 years and we are a testament to taking stories, incorporating reason, reality, science, and reframing them and telling a new story. It first began with Arius in 325 in the Council of Nicaea where he openly denounced the Trinity. And then in the 1500s during the Protestant Reformation, Francis David and King Sigmund of Transylvania, they enacted the Edict of Torda, which was one of the first laws of religious tolerance during a time where the Catholic and Calvinist inquisitions were burning people at the stake for heretical beliefs. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, who the transcendentalist who said that the spark of the divine was within each of us and we only had to acknowledge nature to have this revelation. And one of my favorites, Olympia Brown, one of the first women ordained to any denomination, she was a universalist minister. She not only challenge the patriarchy with her ministry, she also was a leader within the women's suffrage movement. In fact, two of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were inspired by Unitarian and Universalist ideologies. Benjamin Rush, who was a Universalist who helped found the Universalist Church of America in 1790, was inspired by his Universalist ideas of a loving God for all people. And Benjamin, and Benjamin Franklin, who was a deist, but good friends with Unitarians, including Joseph Priestley, who was the progressive activist in Britain who fleed Britain and began to found Unitarian churches in Pennsylvania. Their ideologies of justice and equity made it into the Declaration of Independence. Even Thomas Jefferson, who truly did not understand what he was writing. 
he was somebody who told the story of Jesus in a new way to make it more human and more accessible in his eyes. They told a new story. So on this Independence Day, I believe the message that needs to be heard is a call to courageous honesty. A courageous honesty that will tell a new story. For many Black and Indigenous peoples, the 4th of July is not that big of a deal. I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, it is a reminder that the United States continues to celebrate freedom from Britain without granting the full freedom that Dr. Keisha Blaine talked about earlier. The full freedom that Dr. Blaine is asking for cannot be realized without a full reckoning of our country's violent past and a retelling of the American story. The honest American spirit is one of courageous honesty. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi famously states that denial is the heartbeat of racism. Now this quote reminds me of the few times I've heard, including Dr. Kendi say that racism is, is like an addiction. America's original pandemic, if you will. And there's no vaccine or cure for this. It is only through the work of healing that we can get beyond this disease. Resma Manekin calls this clean pain in his book, My Grandmother's Hands. The Alcoholics Anonymous call it the 12 steps of recovery. Here are subsequent quotes. Resma Manekin writes, clean pain is about choosing integrity over peer. It is about letting go of what is familiar but harmful finding the best parts of yourself and making a leap with no guarantee of safety or praise. This wisdom is also found in the 12 step programs. Steps four and five of Alcoholics Anonymous reads, made a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves and admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And the renowned progressive monk Richard Rohr writes in his book on the 12 steps, Breathing Underwater, what you do not consciously acknowledge will remain in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around. A therapist, a monk, and a drunk. And no, it's not a racist joke, but they all came and said the exact same thing. It is by facing the hardest parts, the pain, the discomfort, that we find the path to full freedom. I'll say it again this way. You have to go through in order to come to, or we have to go through in order to come to. What happens on the micro is the same with the macro. Go through the pain. Rigorous honesty is the path to freedom. And I would dare say that courageous honesty is the key to liberation. It is how a group of enslaved Africans can take a biblical story meant to control their destinies. And they acknowledge the pain and suffering they are in and they turn it into a story of God 
triumphing over evil of their liberation. And that is what America needs. But we can't rely solely on black, indigenous, and people of color communities to do this work. The United States, and I'm talking to white, to those of European descent, the United States, those of European descent, if we want to proclaim the narrative of freedom, we can only do it through our shared healing, through being honest. The funny clip that we saw earlier, Adam Ruins Everything, highlights this fact. The American dream is just what it is. It's a dream. The problems of economic inequality, climate change, systemic racism, affordable housing and health care, they can all be solved if the United States would let go of this dream and begin to tell the truth. Because it is the truth that truly sets us free. We live in a time where so many people are afraid of telling the truth, that if our youth learn of the evils of slavery, colonization, and indigenous genocide, that they will grow to hate this country. That is fear-based thinking, and we have to stop it. Now, we heard from an African-American perspective earlier, but I want to highlight the work that is done to retell the American story from an indigenous lens. Here is a quote by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz from her book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. Writing U.S. history from an indigenous people's perspective requires rethinking the consensual national narrative. That narrative is wrong or deficient, not in its facts, dates, or details, but rather in its essence. Inherent in the myth we've been taught is an embrace of settler colonialism and genocide. The myth persists not for a lack of free speech or poverty of information, but rather for an absence of motivation to ask questions that challenge the core of the scripted narrative of the origin story. How might acknowledging the reality of the U.S. history work to transform society? As I wrap up, I want to tell a new American story. One that includes the way Unitarian Universalists and communities of color have reframed and reshaped the stories handed down to them and told new ones, dreamed bigger, created more inclusion. And we do this by recognizing our past sins and telling the truth about them so we can create a better story, a better narrative for our future. Now, I purposely did not mention critical race theory until this very moment because I think that phrase is beginning to lose its true meaning. It was originally coined in the 70s and 80s as a critical examination 
of the ways in which race and racism affect our legal, societal, and political structures. And today it's being used as political uh, fodder to just divide and even more separate us. Critical race theory or the ability to examine our history and the ways in which the true history of America affects us today and where we're headed is necessary for us to truly live into the values that we aspire to live by. Now, I'm not making a political argument for critical race theory. I'm making a faith-based theological request for you use and non-UUs alike to tell the truth about the United States. Tell your kids, tell everybody, tell your friends, your colleagues, everybody, so that we do not repeat the harms done in history, the harms done to communities that have been marginalized, and that we can do so much better. If someone is not sure about teaching racism, about reexamining our history through the lens of race, I challenge you to, to think about this question. What am I trying to avoid by not looking at these things? What is it that I'm denying? What pain am I trying to not experience? Because it's all about pain. Even the defensiveness, the shouting, it's about pain. Now that defensiveness is harmful to communities of color. That is true. And we must speak out against it. That pain be, is being seen on display through the laws being passed to prevent the teaching of racism in schools and new voter suppression laws. So we must speak to the harm that is being done. And we must do the reflective work. And that's what I want us to do on this 4th of July, to celebrate and to reflect on what it means to re-examine our country's history. Ibram X. Kendi, Keisha Blaine, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz have all written histories that do not hide the sins of this nation. And they have done so, so that we can all heal. The full freedom that Keisha Blaine is talking about cannot be achieved by ignoring our true history or some dream that is only achieved by some. Full freedom is achieved when we co-create the world we dream about by dismantling the structures that hinder that dream from being fully realized for all. May you on this Independence Day be a part of the full realization of that dream. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be.
great message. But wait, there's more. Uh, unfortunately, since Joshua couldn't be here with us uh, via video live, he's uh, written an addendum to his sermon for us. He writes, You just heard a message that touched on the American story that we tell each other, and it focused a lot on our anti-racism work. I want to be clear that our need for full freedom extends to all marginalized peoples. This past week has been extremely difficult for many of us. Past two weeks. Women's and pregnant people's right to choose what is best for their body and life has been taken away. <clears throat> Religious freedom is in jeopardy. We are learning just how close we were to losing our democracy. LGBTQ plus families are facing more and more obstacles. And our efforts to fight climate change are being foiled by the courts, siding with big coal and fossil fuels. There is a part of our nation that wants to tell a false narrative, that this country is only for a certain kind of people, and all others are not welcome or must live under oppression. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe in creating a just and equitable world for all people. We believe in the worth and dignity of every human being. We believe we must do the hard work to undo the harm of white supremacy and all forms of oppression. This will take a lot of honest introspection and the ability to say, let's tell the truth about who we are. For it is knowing our true history, the triumphs and the setbacks, that we can direct our steps in the way we should go. Joshua closes, blessed be, and happy Independence Day, Fox Valley. <laughs>